Welcome to the Todd Run Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, laughing because I just botched the intro as I tried to do this the first time. I'm joined here today with two of my main men, uh, Dr. J and Scott the Stat Assassin. Dr. J, say what's up. What's up, everybody? And Scott, tell the people what's up. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So we're here with a recap of the Georgia football season. We're coming to you today from the Buttsmere Studios, and we want to talk about kind of the overall trajectory of UJ season, what we got right in our preseason predictions, what we got wrong, highlight some of the stats and trends, uh, grade the season, and then go through a brief overview of the offseason to this point, who's leaving for the draft, who's returning, our coaching staff, and make a couple way early, way too early predictions for 2021. So if you're new to the show, you can follow us on any major podcasting platform, Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, any of those. Uh, you can email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com, and follow us on Facebook or Twitter. So, UJ just finished an 8-2 and two season, finished in the final rankings at, I believe, number 7. Guys, correct me off that. I should have that right. <clears throat> 7 is right. Finished yeah. in the final rankings at number 7. And if you had told me at the beginning of the year that UJ had finished at number 7, I would say that probably means we lost the SEC championship game and finished with about an eight or nine and two record, which is, I said eight and two. Eight and two is our regular season record. We went nine and two on the season, correction. But I would have said, that sounds about right. But the way that UJ got to their nine and two record was, to say the least, kind of a roller coaster. (laughs) Um, Going from the hype for the Jamie Newman in the preseason to playing a walk-on and having the mailman be the captain of all of Athens for a few weeks, to him forgetting how to play football after three games, to then resurrecting JT Dangle's football career and him essentially saving our season. So, yeah, it was a roller coaster, and it was a really unique journey to get there. The results for the season were more or less the way you, the ways you thought they would work out. You beat all the teams that weren't good. You lost to Bama, and you knew the floor game was when you could lose, and we lost that game with about 80% of our defense. And – our quarterback's going 9-29 for 112 yards. So, in the end, the season did more or less play out the way that a lot of people would have predicted as far as final results. But the week-to-week of the season was probably nothing that anybody could have predicted. You guys kind of agree with that? See you nodding your head, Jonathan. Yeah, I agree with that. I, it's funny uh, to say that the season played out sort of the way that it should have. Um, because in so many ways the season was completely upside down, especially for Georgia, especially because of the quarterback situation, which is maybe something we'll talk about in a minute. But really, you know, had we known at the beginning of the season what the quarterback situation was going to be, we might have been able to call it exactly the way it went based (laughs) on what everybody – so basically I'm saying everything went exactly the way we thought it would go except for the quarterback. (laughs) So it was like except for that one position – Almost everybody else played kind of the way we thought they would play, almost. All right, folks. So sorry for the hiccup in the recording. Billy, the intern, was not doing his job. Shocker. Um, So, Billy, thank you for getting my headphones. All right, let's keep going, guys. Yeah, so we were talking about, you know, how things went, first expectations, et cetera. I think most of us had about a 9-1 and record as kind of the expectation. This was before Jamie Newman opted out two or three weeks. We're going to talk about how bad of a decision that was for him later on. 
<laughs> I think uh, for pretty much any team, if you said, hey, what's the expected record? Now, take away the first quarterback <laughs> and the second quarterback yeah. for most of the season. Yeah. Now, what's their record? You're going to add at yeah. least one loss to yeah. that. So it went how it was expected, um, with the exception of the Jamie yeah. Newman. I agree with that. Out, right? So talk about preseason predictions you mentioned there. Uh, Jonathan, you and I did a podcast back in the fall that was critically acclaimed among our friends, at least. And <laughs> we, we made some predictions, uh, highlighting a few of the things we got right and wrong. I did predict an eight and two record, but I also predicted us beating Florida and making it to the SC championship game in spite of that, which obviously did not happen. We did not make beat Florida and we did not make it to the SC championship game. Although the eight and two record that I predicted was correct. Uh, a couple other things that I did get right. Um, I did have Kiaris Jackson kind of having a breakout season as our number two pass catcher, which did happen, but it was kind of weird because it was like he balled out for like five games and then basically disappeared the last half of the season. Uh, So those are kind of the two big things that I got right. What about for you? Yeah. Well, your probably most notable wide receiver prediction uh, played out a lot better than mine did. Um, Yours being (laughs) that Kiaris Jackson would have a good season. Mine being that uh, there might be some uh, sneaky good playing time coming for Tommy Bush, which even a lot of Georgia football fans probably still don't know who Tommy Bush is <laughs> because he didn't play a single snap this season, I think, though he was hurt. So there's yeah. one for laughs. But um, no, you're right. I mean, you, you had us going eight and two, though you thought we were going to beat Florida. Yeah. I also thought we were going to beat Florida mm-hmm. and had us going nine and one with our only loss being to Alabama, which. Um, Listen, as we just said, I mean, you could look back at the season and see how that very well could have come to pass, especially if the quarterback situation yes. had not been, you know, totally upside down. I think the other thing that I remember saying in the in the preseason pod, uh, and that you said as well, was that the defense was so incredibly stacked um, that on paper there was just absolutely no way that either one of us could see the defense letting us down. Yeah. And I think um, there are probably a lot of people that think the defense uh, sort of underperformed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess by some measures, mostly just wins and losses, you could say that it did. But actually, it really didn't. Um, as we speak, I'm looking at the um, the scatter chart for the SB plus defensive rating. And oh, SBC you're going to steal Scott's thunder. <laughs> no, ha- have at it. I support <laughs> good stats. And it informed. looks crazy. It, yeah. it looks like, I mean, Georgia is like on an island and the rest of the conference is all bunched up next to each other. Um, by the numbers, like our defense was actually really awesome. Um, and if I can say one thing about this, I, I don't know if y'all saw this, but I just saw this earlier this week. I had no idea he said this. After the Georgia game, quote from Nick Saban, it used to be that good defense beats good offense. Good defense doesn't beat good offense anymore. Saban told mm-hmm. ESPN on Friday. Quote, it's just like last week. Georgia has as good a defense as we do in offense, and we scored 41 points on them. That's mm-hmm. not the way it used to be. It used to be if you had a good defense, other people weren't going to score. You were always going to be in the game. I'm telling you, it ain't that way anymore. I had no idea that Saban said that after our game with us. I just found it earlier this week. And it sort of tells the story of our season. <laughs> Nick Saban's been reading our text messages. Do y'all not remember me saying this exact thing early in the season? The dominant no. defenses in college football died in 2017. It's when, absolutely true. When Clemson upsets Alabama in the national championship game, 
that was the death of dominant defenses because that was a fully loaded save and save. I think it was 2017, 2017 or 2016. When they pulled that upset, that was the end of, uh, yeah, it was the January of 2017. That was the end of dominant defenses because that was a fully loaded, full-fledged Nick Saban defense, and Deshaun Watson shredded them. And the realization came to me then like, okay, they're the best that there is on defense, and they can't stop these offenses. It's absolutely true. And as long as you want to spend one more minute on this, let me give you the rest of the quote. He said, I don't like it, but we just have to make sure we have an offense that's that way and that explosive, which we have. He said, it's hard to coach defense now because there are so many run-pass concepts and what everybody does. I mean, it's really, really hard to coach the secondary because you get so many mismatches back there. It, it is absolutely a different game. And if you had told me, you know, three, four, five years ago that that would be a Nick Saban quote. I mean, you know, a, a, a Cliff Kingsbury quote or something. Maybe. Right. <laughs> right. But but there's Nick Saban, uh, the man who seems to, uh, you know, be two steps ahead of everybody else. Um, I mean, he's absolutely speaking the truth. And so going along those lines, like people feel like the defense out- underperformed because against the two best offenses in the SEC, we gave it 40 points. They don't realize that we held both those offenses under their season averages in yards per play, points per game, like total yardage. We held them under their averages, which is what a good defense do does. Um, like you think Alabama averaged 48, 49 points per game, basically, and you held them to 41. Well, if you hold somebody a touchdown under their average, that's good defense. I mean, and if you have competent quarterback playing the second half of that game, it's probably 41 to 35 instead of what it was. And the same thing with the Florida, like Florida, once um, Florida was playing, first of all, against about 80% of our defense, missing one of our best players in the back end, one of our best players in the front end, um, scored, was it 44 they scored in Georgia? Over 40 points, but we still held them under seats and averages in almost every category. Now, let's be honest, if you watch the game, there was about two quarters there where Kyle Trask absolutely flambéed our defense. Let's not, let's not, let's not lie about that. But I think that people look at those two games and say, well, Georgia's whole defensive season was underperformance. When really we look at the numbers, it wasn't. And we finished first in SP plus nationally, which is one of the best metrics you can use by a good margin over the, the second number two team, which I think it was Iowa. And just for the, rec- for the record, for folks that were wondering why Georgia struggled on offense in the bowl game, Cincinnati went into that game at number two and finished season at number five. So we try to tell people, those of us that knew, that Cincinnati had a really good defense. And, well, considering that their D.C. has now moved up, I think we've kind of it's kind of shown that that's true. Not only that, Jonathan, going back to one more point you made, Steve Sarkeesian, who is by far the best assistant coach in college football this year, every coach that watched Alabama tape basically said, whatever they're paying him, it's not enough. He was impressed enough with George's defense that he wanted Dan Lanning to be his D.C. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, listen, to the point that we're now talking about. Maybe. Like, maybe to, maybe Tua of vailoa was a system quarterback, right? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, we just watched <laughs> Mac Jones do the, do the same thing. Scott raises right? I mean, hands. Scott raises both Scott hands. Raises hand. so, some of the um, – some of the motion stuff that they did with Devonte Smith, I, I mean, is just literally unstoppable. You know, if they do it the way they want to do it, and just like you said, David, I mean, it didn't feel like the defense was playing well against them, but it really probably was. And you watch Alabama play, you know, in consecutive games, Florida and Notre Dame and Ohio State, and it felt like those teams, like really none of them, really ever had a chance to beat Alabama. And then you go back to us, and you thought. We lost by two touchdowns. We were up 24 to 20 at mm-hmm. halftime in that game in mm-hmm. Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the defense probably put up as good a fight as they possibly could have um, as, as bad as it felt yeah. uh, watching the, those receivers go up and down the field, believe it or not, the defense was not the problem in that game. Yeah. You got to score. You have to sustain some drives. You can't punt. And then Alabama who couldn't piss a drop running the ball for most of the game, just got into really good sets and ran on us at the end of the game. And that game was kind of a, microcosm one of the things that I did not necessarily get right I thought Stokes and Campbell would be really dominant corners this year and they were good they were good for my taste they lost way too many one-on-one matchups against really elite receivers and again it's plays where against Tennessee they're right in the hip pocket but lose the jump ball two of those plays against Florida one to um Trayvon Grimes who is big tall athletic receiver and then one to you know the best tight end in the country on a jump ball. But my thing is, if you're an elite corner, I expect you to win some of those against the good receivers. You're not going to win all of them. And for my taste, they lost a few too many of those that and plays that I thought they would make uh, coming into the season. And I would say the last thing that I missed on was Zeus, um, Zamir White, good, thought he'd be a little bit more explosive. I thought he would hit a few more big runs than what he did. I mean, the runs he hit were basically plays where it was blocked perfectly. Scott, you, what was your thoughts on that? So it's worth noting that Zeus had the same number of explosive runs this year as Najee Harris, just for baseline, exactly the same. He played less games. Um, so Zeus was a little bit more explosive we than feel like, I think yeah. a lot of us realized watching. Yeah, it, part of it is explosive runs are inherently a little bit unstable. Sometimes those runs go for 20 or 30, and sometimes they go for 60. And it has more to do with chance than it has to do with the running back. Not to say the running back's not involved in the outcome, but it's chance influences a lot. The other thing, I do agree, he looked like a guy that was his first real year back from injuries, not like a guy that was 100%. From the fan side of things, you certainly hope the next year looks like he's another year recovered and gets a little bit more mobility and explosiveness back. To, yeah, to backtrack to the defense, I think it is a little bit fair to say the defense okay. underperformed. At the same time, I also think it's insane. Some of the people that think that Georgia's defense wasn't very good. <laughs> still finished still finish first in SP Plus by a couple points, which is a pretty cool. solid margin, right? Also, first in the country over the last three years combined in scoring defense against uh, Power 5 teams. Wow. Right. So it's consistently a very, very good defense. Right. This year, still finished number one SP plus. I still think it was the best defense in college football. The numbers say so too, right? Now, where they underperformed is at least by some of the number of projections, expected to be the best defense by about mm. a touchdown. Expected to be the best defense just lapping the field. Expected to be in the discussion for the best yep. defense yep. of all time adjusting for historical norms, et cetera. How much of that difference, right, between best ever and just best this year is underperforming? I don't know. Maybe some of it is, like the stuff you're talking about with the DBs, you know, needed to make a few more plays. Some of it is probably just the fact that you were playing games without Jordan Davis and Richard LeCount, who are two Mm -hmm. really important guys, and – 
also two guys that are very hard to replace, yeah. right? We've seen multiple times the last two, three years, we could be missing Stokes, mm-hmm. we could be missing Campbell, and you have a guy that's ready to go, and you're not as good. Nobody's as good when you're missing a starter. But it didn't drastically change the defense, right? Losing Jordan Davis drastically changes the defense. Having LeCount out clearly yes, drastically changes something on the communication level, right? And Monty so, Rice. Part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, like Monty Rice is one of those guys who's like, you're absolutely better having Monty Rice. Um, but I don't know if he impacts the defense being out quite in the same way mm-hmm. as other guys do. But you are right. He's, the, he's your signal caller at that level, right? Him and LeCount yeah. are the guys doing all and the And that's what the thing is. LeCount is – LeCount is also very much, and this is such an overused phrase, but having met the kid and been in meetings with him, he really is the emotional leader also. And, again, that stuff's a lot overstated. But, essentially, LeCount is the sheriff. Like, I'm just telling you, having seen the way that kid does stuff at practice, he's the sheriff. I remember the day I went to watch practice uh, back in uh, two, two springs ago, Tyreek Stevenson's pouting because Kirby's busting his, ta- busting his chops. And Richard LeCount goes over there and, in a loving way, cusses him out and tells him to get his crap together. But, like, in the way that you do on a football team, it's like – I looked at that and I was like, okay, LeCount's the sheriff. If there was ever any doubt, he's that dude. And you miss that when it's not on the field. I mean, you do. You do. As much as that stuff's overstated, you do. Um, Absolutely. That, those, those three guys were um, – and in recent days when uh, Jordan Davis has made his announcement about coming back, uh, been a lot of stories coming out, you know, about him too. Those three guys were the spiritual and the physical center – of that defense, like literally right up the middle, Jordan Davis, Monty Rice, Richard LeCount. And so if you wanted to make you know, excuses for this defense, um, you could absolutely talk about how many games we missed from those three guys. And as we just said, statistically, this was not really a defense that you need to make excuses for because mm-hmm. um, they were really pretty good. Uh, yeah. But, you know, if, if those guys had been healthy all year, you know, how much better would it have been? Yeah. And – Having said all that, re- the re- I would say, to put a bow on our recaps, we were good on defense. I think, I, I think kind of like you, Scott, we kind of predicted this might be an all-time great defense, and it was a really good defense. I think we finished 12th nationally. I, I, would, even, I would even say it was a great defense. It just wasn't That's an all-time fair. great defense. We finished 12th nationally in points per game, but, again, you look at the number one defense, it's Iowa. Okay, well, they played five games – five or six games, whatever they ended up playing, to R11. And um, no other team in the country played the two top five offenses. Right. And and for those that don't know what SP Plus is, like a lot of, you know, sort of analytic type, you know, numerical approaches, it adjusts for yes. the level of competition, right? So if you were to play Alabama and hold them to 30 points – you and you've only played one game. Your defense gives up thirty points per game. You're going exactly. to be, you know, bottom third, and SP Plus is going to say, "Wow, only thirty <laughs> points to Alabama. Yeah, that's pretty freaking good. Your defense might yeah. be amazing." And so that's a good segue into kind of your area, Scott. So would you hit us with some of the trends that you saw from the season statistically? So I'm going to let you roll. Yeah. So the biggest thing was, like we said, the defense you know, especially by SP plus still outstanding, still finished first, did not finish in that elite all-time category. Like uh, some projections had and like from the fan side, we hoped for, I will say, so they give like raw numbers for the way that they output this. Right. Um, 
Georgia finished with an 11.8 on yeah. defense. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the ideal perfect defense would be zero. zero, right? So this means that the SP plus would say like, you know, 11.8 points to an average offense, mm-hmm. I guess. Well, SP plus projected Georgia's defense to be a 6.4. Goodness. That is, yes. Oh now, gosh. I will say, I will say personally, I had it projected about three points higher than that at about mm-hmm. 9.4 and some of my own estimated projections. And part of the reason is things like SP plus are supposed to be adjusted for the pace of the game and things like that. Right. However, stuff like that's pretty tricky and it doesn't work perfectly, especially at the edges. So for example, 2019 Georgia played very, very slow on offense the defense went against very, very few possessions. Mm. So what that means is the uh, opposing offenses don't really have a whole lot of – you know, they get seven or eight drives a game. They don't have a whole lot of time to find something that works and then hammer it home, like the same way a team might when you're getting 12 or 13 possessions a game, right? So sometimes playing that way can slightly inflate some of your stats, Mm. even when you try and adjust for stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Since we played at such a slow rate and because the SP plus projection was just insanely good, I kind of said, okay, I think it's going to be just backing off that line just a little bit. Still, that would have put us first by like five points or four points better. A huge gap still, still easily number one, right? Then we talked, we were a couple points, you know, inferior to that on defense. And some of that is a lot of the reasons I think that we talked yeah. about, which was yeah. kind of some injuries and stuff like that, really. And you hate to say that stuff, but that's real life, you know, especially when it's important players in, in important games. Um, one of the things that's kind of worth noting is that the offense did improve. Um, if you look at the SP plus numbers, at least the offense was about two points better this year than last That's year. That's interesting. Right. And that is not just looking at the JT Daniels games. That's the offense as a hmm. whole. So that's, a, that's also with a first-year coordinator. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when you have first-year coordinators, you do not take a step mm-hmm. forward, you take a step back. Now, you could argue that this was sort of an outlier situation where a first-year coordinator might be expected to take a step forward because the previous coordinator had struggled so mightily, it seems. He underachieved, let's be honest. Yeah. So I kind of actually had us projected to take a step forward, even with a first-year coordinator. Now, I also had us taking a step forward a little more than we did, the difference being quarterback injury opt-outs, right? (laughs) And so uh, in my sort of rough guesstimates, I had us projected as the number 10 offense. And the, and the way I had that was partly looking at historical baseline. In 17 and 18, we were number seven and number three. Wow. So I had us basically getting back to not being quite as efficient as 17 and 18. Yeah, okay. So basically treating it like 29 was an aberration that didn't exist, and you had a new coordinator coming in, and you were going to take a little step back from 17 and 18. Okay. Um, in practice, we took a little bit of a step forward from 19 to 20. You know, we'll get into this later. I don't think the 2021 numbers are out yet, but we will expect them to probably project pretty significant jump forward. But like I said, we'll, we'll discuss that some later. So let me ask you this. 
What was the impact of JT Daniels on our offense? What was the difference once he joined that group? Yeah, so there were a couple differences. Uh, one of the, I'll start with sort of maybe the, the negative, I think, was, you know, we probably didn't run the ball quite as well with JT Daniels in there. Part of the reason is just that he's not very mobile. And when we had Stetson Bennett in there, we were able to do a lot more of the zone read RPO kind of stuff because he was just enough of a threat where the defense had to treat him as credible, right? Nobody's getting the mailman confused with Lamar Jackson or Michael Bay, right? But he ran just well enough that you had to kind of respect that. So we did, I think, lose a little bit on the running game. Obviously, you picked up a lot in the passing game. Um, it's hard to tell because he only played, you know, four four games or whatever. But if you take his numbers, JT Daniels' numbers, and prorate that out to 13 games, which would be after the SEC championship game or after a bowl game if you don't get to the SEC championship game, right? It's basically a full season, roughly. You don't know how many games you play. So his numbers in the 13-game season come out to 4,000 yards, 33 touchdowns, seven picks. And here's the real kicker because, you know, Stetson Bennett would have been at like, I don't know, maybe 3,000 yards and 20 touchdowns and like 16 picks or something. That's not very good. The yards, obviously, way better. The yards per attempt, 10.3 yards per attempt. Wow. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That is it. That's like Matt Jones numbers. Yes. Yes, that is averaging a first down per attempt. That's right? like Joe Burrow. So it's numbers. worth noting. That's pretty close. Yeah, we slung the ball down the field. That is something that the offensive coordinator has always done. Munkin has always liked to throw the ball vertical. It's worth noting that with Stetson Bennett, we were not able to successfully do yes. that. Yes. There were times we called it, times we tried it, we had guys wide yes. open. Yes, yes, yes. Um, with JT Daniels, that was much more effective. Let's see, with Stetson Bennett, it was about seven and a half yards okay. per attempt. Yeah, that's a very, very pedestrian number. If you do the adjusted yards per attempt, it was down to seven. JT Daniels' yards per attempt is 10.3. Adjusted is 11.3. Okay, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty stupid. Um, he was not a perfect quarterback mm -hmm. by any means. You know, everybody saw it that <laughs> there were a couple times where he still made some poor decisions and threw some balls that could have been picked or were Held picked. Held onto the ball. And oh. as – yeah. Though I will say his, his sack rate was actually – sacks per game was about exactly the same as Bennett and okay. Mathis. And we were throwing the ball mm -hmm. more. So sacks per pass attempt was actually, I think, pretty significantly okay. lower. Um, it did feel bad, though, because when he took a sack, it was like a yeah. really obvious oops, I held on yeah. too long and got hammered kind of sack. But anyway, so – yeah, I mean, the yards per attempt is just massively, insanely different. The completion percentage was good. The big difference was the deep ball. Yes. And that's why it yep. shows up in the yards per attempt. Um, we also saw that he was not some insanely accurate wizard on the deep ball, right? A lot of those deep shots were completed. A lot of those completed deep shots were not perfectly accurate. So that will be one of the areas where I'm sure that he and the coaches and, and fans will all be watching to see if there's improvement there. If you get improvement on some of that stuff, 
then you start getting into 10 yards per attempt, Joe Burrow numbers being sustainable. Yeah. Right. If he does not improve on some of that downfield accuracy, then it might be hard to hold on to that level of production because it is was stupidly high as far as that. Yeah. Goes. Okay. Um, and, and I mentioned those numbers because those are some of the better, more stable numbers that tell you, you know, how effective or efficient something is, right? Like completion percentage or yards or touchdowns. Those have a lot to do with the situation you're in. It, all sets have to do with the situation you're in, but things like yards per attempt slowly get less and less about the situation and more about how the, the player performs. So, Guys, what would you give your season grade? And I would start with this. Overall, I think the offense, once JT Daniels got in, performed about as expected, maybe slightly better. On the whole season, I think the offense was about, like you said, what we expected maybe, Scott. If you look at their overall numbers and performance-ish, uh, defense was about what we expected. Maybe not quite as good, but still a really, really good defense. In the overall record, we ended up about what we thought because I think most of us would have said we would have ended up losing the SEC championship game and being in a New Year's Six Bowl, which is more or less what happened. You can disagree with that when y'all get a chance to uh, give your grade, but I would basically give us like a, just right there in the middle a B. Didn't really fall too far below our expectations. Didn't exceed them. So that's my that's my grade. Jonathan, what about you? I think I'd agree with you. I was just sitting here debating if I was going to give it a B or a B minus, mm-hmm. and and was leaning B um, for almost the same reason you said. I it, I couldn't give it anything in the A range uh, just because of the amount of talent we had and the disappointment on the final results. But listen, I mean, we went nine and two, you know, we won a new year's day bowl against a very good team. Mm -hmm. And actually we overcame really a lot of crazy circumstances, you know, to get to that nine and two season. Um, If you're going to, if you're going to look at that season and try and give it, you know, a C or a D or worse. um, I don't know. I I think you're losing some perspective. Yeah. Scott what's about for your grade. So I guess I'll be a little bit of a stickler for this based on preseason expectations part of it. And if you look at it that way, it's probably a C because that's about average based on what was expected. But I I say that because we're saying, you know, based on expectations, you know, maybe, maybe you round it up to like a a B minus because the whole quarterback issue wasn't part of the, it it depends on which preseason expectations. And that, yeah. And that's a good point because, you, there was no way to account for uh, our quarterback opting out three weeks before we played our first game. So that changes the entire calculus of the season. So, yeah, you're, you're right about that. And, and I will say, like, you know, if people love to get hung up on grading things based off of preseason expectations, right? Based off of preseason expectations, I guess I would give, you know, Alabama like a C-plus this year. They ever so slightly exceeded expectations. <laughs> right. They were projected to clearly have the best offense, and they were projected to have the eighth best defense. And their defense actually finished a lot worse than projected, yeah. but defense was down this year, so they actually finished like sixth instead. But of their offense was like an all-time offense. Yeah, but they were projected to have an all-time yeah. offense. Yeah. Right? So C+. Plus. <laughs> but that, that's because – preseason expectations are warped at programs that are perennially in the top one, two, four, five, ten. Whatever, and this is right? true because essentially if you're ever grading an Alabama season and they don't make it the college ball playoff, you're giving that season a bad grade. 
which is what's the F. Yeah. And if it's not an F, it's a C, D, whatever. Any, time, any year they don't make the playoff. So, like, last year's grade, yeah, I would give them a D. Because, I mean, like, you had all that talent and you didn't make the playoff because we're talking about comparison to what you're expected to be. That's a good point. And if we were being like, and if we were being fair to like last year's Alabama team, where we'd say, "Oh, that's a D compared to preseason expectations," well, they had their quarterback right. That's true. And they lost a big game because their backup quarterback threw a couple of interceptions. Man, that sounds really familiar. Who else this year lost a game because their backup quarterback threw a couple of interceptions on the road against the future national title team? Anybody yeah. else? Oh, and can we also mention that I did one prediction I got right, Jonathan. We talked about who would be the best quarterback in the SEC. I said on paper it will be Kyle Trask, but by the end of the year, I think it will be Mac Jones. So I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the back for getting that one right. You can say that. I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So with that said, we're going to move into our our last little bit of the offseason. All right. So, so far this offseason, there's been a lot of movement in the Georgia program. We lost just about our entire secondary, uh, but brought back some players we didn't necessarily think we would be bringing back. So – Help me, guys, as we run down these decisions. Um, probably the biggest surprise of the offseason is losing Jamie Newman before the season started. <laughs> and I don't know who he got advice for, or I don't know who he got advice from, but he hurt himself. Because I don't think people realize that on average in an NFL draft, only, what, 11 quarterbacks on average get drafted. So it's somewhere around that number. So – Usually no more than five in the first round. And that's if it's a loaded year, like a few years ago when you had, you know, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, all those guys going to the first round, which is rare. I'm talking about most years, it's two or three quarterbacks in the first round. Usually you're getting to quarterback five or six by the third round. So if you're not in the top five or six, you're talking about you're down the list to fifth round, sixth round, seventh round, or you're a UDFA, an undrafted free agent. And it's hard to see any scenario, even if he kills the combine, in which Jamie Newman goes any higher than like fifth or sixth in the quarterbacks. Because you're already starting out. Every quarterback's already starting out third by Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. People love Zach Wilson. I am not on the Trey Lance bandwagon. I think he is a big-time project, but somebody's going to bite on that. And then you have even the guys like the Sam, Sam Ellingers of the world. Uh, Kyle Trask has moved ahead of Jamie Newman. So that you're already now in the third round starting. Mac Jones. Mac Jones. I'm sorry. I didn't even say him. So you're already starting in the third round, and that's if you kill it. So he got some bad intel. He's one that I would say should have stayed and should have played. Um, yeah. Other big – other losses that aren't from graduation, and y'all help me with this, uh, Trey Hill, did we lose anybody else in the offensive line? Not that went okay. early. Defensive line, we retained everybody that was an underclassman. Is that correct? We brought back all of our linebackers, and – Except for, excuse me, we did not bring back Elise Ojolari, who was our best edge player. He declared early, and he should have. Uh, he's going to be a top a first-round draft pick, assuming he runs 4-5 or 4-6. He is way more productive than Caleb on Chason from LSU last year, and that guy went in the top 20, which he probably shouldn't have. He doesn't have the same height and length that everybody wants that looks as sexy, okay. you know? Um, is he six, he's not 6'2"? Six, six I thought he was 6'3". I think he's 6'3", okay. but... I think Chason is, you know, closer to that, like, 6'5", really long arms looking okay. kind of guy. Um, but he's, Ojalar is definitely a, a better 
pass rusher at this stage in the game. He's got to run – and the thing is, I, I, I'd seen Chase on list at like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, so I thought they were comparable. But I think what you're saying, too, is the arm length. And Chase on ran a 4'5". I think if Ojolari touches 4'6", low 4'6", that'll be enough for him to get in the first round because that shows he is explosive enough. And he might – who knows, he might run a 4'5". But he's one that when he left, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Trey Hill, as we'll talk about, not so sure he should have left. Uh, interior linemen aren't high draft picks. So even if you're a really good center, you might be going second or third round if you kill it. And he's not a singer, so he doesn't have the senior bowl to help boost his status like a lot of those guys get. Not sure about that one. Lost Jermaine Johnson transferring out to Florida State. Think he probably just wanted a bigger role. He was tired of splitting reps because there ain't no way you're going to get better yeah. exposure. But he was playing, I don't know, a percent of our snaps, probably 40, 50% of our snaps. He can probably go to Florida State and play 70. So I guess he's trying to help boost his production. Mark Webb, DJ Daniels, guys who lost to graduation. Tyreek Stevenson left us for Miami. Rumors from what I'm hearing yeah, for that, that, that which that one, that one stings. The rumors I'm hearing for that is that it's his mom wants him close to their home. Have you guys heard something similar to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. He, he almost transferred back to Miami where he's from after the last okay. season. And then decided to stay and stick it out. You know, after his freshman year, he was playing, but not he didn't play every single game, right? Mm-hmm. But he still played a decent bit. But, you know, was homesick, thought about going back to Miami, decided to stay. Then you have this whole pandemic year where the players are not even allowed to go home at mm, all. That's a good point. Right? So, yeah, I, I don't think it really caught a lot of people off guard inside the program. Um, it's one of those things where for him, from like a personal side of things, it's probably a very good move. From a football side of things, it's probably not. He's still an NFL guy anyway, probably. So. Um. Did we we didn't lose a single receiver this year? All our receivers are underclassmen, and I was trying to figure this out, and I couldn't find this. Did D. Rob decide to come back? There hasn't been any official okay. word. Out right, so that's one that so, I haven't and, heard. We we didn't lose a single contributing receiver. Um, I admit, Makaya Tong um, transferred, and so did um, and so did uh, uh, I know his number, but yeah, one of the, the other 14. the other freshmen. I know you're talking about Blunt. Blunt, yeah. Trey yeah. Blunt. The way the way I look at it is guys that transfer out and go to other Power 5 programs, those are guys that you might be missing out on someone who's actually going to contribute, right? Guys that are transferring out of Georgia and going to a G5 school, that's somebody that's just transferring because they weren't going to play. And, and right? Matt Landers in the and so you look at portal it, too, I believe. Is, yeah. is that correct? Okay. Yes. I know he didn't leave. He's, I think he announced somewhere – Okay. I forget where. But you look at it, you know, Jermaine Johnson, Florida State, Stevenson, mm-hmm. Miami. Those are the two guys that actually mm-hmm. played and transferred. The other guys transferred because they didn't play and they weren't going to play. And that's a good decision for them to transfer out. For Jermaine Johnson and Stevenson, that's kind of borderline, right? Yeah. I said Stevenson. On the personal side, good. Football side, probably not. Jermaine Johnson, the football side, who knows? Yeah. He'll play more, so he might rack up a few more sacks, but also the team won't be yeah. as good. So exposure, it, it's a lot of borderline stuff. Same with Trey, Trey Hill, right? It's kind of borderline. Is he better off going or staying? He's probably better off staying, yeah. but, if you know, 
it's all a numbers game too, right? Like the second round versus the third round versus the fourth round, like where is the line for where you have to stay or where you go and what position do you play? And, and who else that. is in your class? And I can't tell you that I know what the center class is like for this year's draft or the interior lineman class. I can't, I'm not that knowledgeable, but yeah. I, I think he's going to be a guard. Like he was playing center because they just needed somebody to play center. I think most people are expecting him to be a guard in the NFL. And he had an up and down. That's just what well, I'm listen, I mean, ter- I mean, in terms of the effect on, you know, Georgia football, you know, I, I also think Trey Hill probably should have come back, mm-hmm. but all the best to him. Um, Trey Hill, we probably will never miss next year. I don't think there's going to be many plays at all, certainly not any games where we're going to think, boy, if we had had Trey Hill. But those defensive backs, that is oh, a man. totally different story. It is fresh men up and down the secondary. I will say the one thing with Trey Hill is if he's if he was back next year, right, he's either playing center where you know you have somebody that's good at center or he's playing guard where it's his natural fit. And him playing guard mm. as a senior could be – could have been, you know – that guy that just really, really balls yeah. people, right? So if you have any game where you have Schaefer or somebody else playing guard and they get pushed around a little bit and it causes some problems, like that's when you'll go, oh, would have been nice to have Trey Hill there. And he essentially but to, to your point, yes, the cornerbacks, we lost so many DBs. That's the spot where just numbers-wise, oof. I'll be fine. That's what that's kind of what I was getting at is like we're not worried about our line. As Jonathan yeah. said, our secondary, well, you lost your top four corners and a three year starter at safety. Like oh my gosh. Like now I'll say this Lewis Seen will be a better safety than um Richard LeCount. Not if he'll be a better college safety, but Lewis Seen is like a no doubt NFL player where Richard LeCount will be a good draft pick that I'm not sure will actually be a great NFL player. And I love Richard LeCount. Whereas Lewis Seen is a slam dunk NFL player, without question, in my mind. And I'm glad we got him back, but your top four corners, dang. I mean, like, I mean, and two of them are going to be top 60 draft picks in the NFL. I mean, you just lost a lot of talent. And I know we have Keely Ringo By and Jalen Kimber. We, we lost our top five corners. Who did I miss? Webb, Daniels, well, Stevenson. Webb, Daniels, Stevenson. Oh, you're right. Stokes, Stokes and Campbell, and our top five corners. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, I, just, I hope the portal's good to us. <laughs> yeah, the, the expectation is that the coaching staff is expecting to add a corner or maybe even two, I don't know, corners from the portal. And I think they're not in a super hurry to do that. It sounds like they're trying to wait and see who all is in the portal and who all is available at cornerback because there's not a lot of top five teams that will just be able to say who wants to start right. a cornerback, right? So it's a mixture of the level of the team and the availability. A lot, a lot of starting level corners are in the portal, and one of the one that's, ones that is is coming from UGA. So, <laughs> um, so you know, looking at the strengths and holes we're projecting for – um, 2021, one of the strengths is going to be our front seven. And uh, that's large in part the fact that we got Jordan Davis back, uh, which the rumors were that he wanted to work on his pass rush before we ended the draft. I don't know why you wouldn't want to go do that in NFL roster while you're getting paid, but hey, God bless him for coming back. That is one large, strong human being. 
And the other one was, was Zamir White choosing to come back, which we weren't sure he would. And I think he kind of went all over the place with his decision. Um, the interesting thing with Zamir White is I think it'll kind of be the kind of year where he might actually be better, but his production will be worse. Because Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh are coming for his carries. Because those two cats can ball. I've been a big fan of Kendall Milton. Oh, my gosh. Throughout the whole process. Yeah. He's Najee Harris light. Yeah. That's what I've been saying since he was a high school Yes, you have. Which is basically he's a big, tall, physical guy that catches the ball well, good vision, good feet, runs with power and balance, doesn't run a 4-4. So sometimes people will pretend like he's not awesome. Yeah. It's sort of uh, not to make the the theme for the podcast, uh, this Nick Saban quote I used earlier, um, but but I'm coming back to it because, you know, in the sort of way too early top 25s, which we might talk about mm-hmm. just a little bit before we go, um, you know, people have got Georgia really, really high. And that seems to be because everybody is back on yep. all these running backs, all our receivers, obviously Daniels. And, you know, we lose some experience on the O-line, but we've got so much talent there almost to the point where people just really almost don't care right. <laughs> about the defense. Now me personally, like I'm waking up in a cold sweat like twice a week because we're going to have to play without cornerbacks. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, like, but say if you've got any eligibility or, or I mean, cause seriously, it, it might be that dire. Yeah. Um, but you know, the way football is now, especially college football, everybody, they're looking at Daniels, those receivers and those running backs. And Hey, if you can block for them, like you're going to be fine. Don't worry about the rest. I don't know if that's true, but that sort of seems to be like kind of what the sentiment is. And, and you got two five stars waiting in the wings and Jalen Kimber and Keely Ringo, but Scott and I were talking about this the other day. It's hard for a cornerback to come in and be really good as a freshman, even a red shirt freshman. I mean, there are very few Derek Stingley's out there who come in and are studs as a freshman. Uh, very few implies there's more than one Derek Stingley, and I have not yet seen and I'm talking about Patrick Sertan is going to be a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. I remember him getting cooked in the CFP, found Sertan and just wore him out. And so that's what happens to even good freshmen. And he's a freshman starting for Alabama in the National Championship game, and he's getting exposed. And so – but here's the thing, and, Jonathan, you said it. Give us a good front seven where we're not letting people stand back there for five seconds, and then – an offense that we know that if you can just not let them throw the ball over your head every time, we're going to score enough. We're going to score 40 and win. It's enough. Enough. Yeah. And, and projecting what the cornerback situation will be like is really, really difficult right now without having yet added the, a presumed starting level cornerback from Correct. the transfer portal, right? If you bring in one guy that's already a starter level from somewhere else that effectively replaces Stevenson, and then you feel a whole lot better. It doesn't mean you sit there and think, wow, cornerback is the strength of yeah, the team. Yeah. There's so much depth. It could never go wrong. That's not going to be the case for cornerback. But if you add in one upperclassman starting level cornerback, now you have your Keely Ringo, second-year player, your other young players competing for the other starting position. Best one's your starter, and you probably have two solid starters on the outside. Yeah. Depth is still a question mark, but it's not – a big question mark at the start yeah. right? So. Well, and the flip side of like what I've been saying, you know, about the offense and everything that the offense throws at you now is that on, you know, your defense, uh, you no longer need four guys, five guys for your secondary that you trust. Like 
you need seven, eight, or nine mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> guys. I mean, I mean, that's what Kirby yeah. does. I mean, that, that that's what he wants in terms of you know how he rotates back there. So, um, listen, I'm I, I'm going to worry about that uh, clear until the Clemson game. I, I can just yeah. go ahead and tell you, <laughs> I'm I'm going to be worried. Which provides a perfect segue into our last segment, which is making our way too early predictions and projections for 2021. So when doing this, one of the best indicators that Scott has taught me is returning production, which is harder to do on defense, but it's a lot easier to do on offense. LSU returned a ridiculous amount of production for that 2019 run. So it was kind of, if you knew what you were looking at, you could predict that LSU was going to have a really, really good offense. Now you couldn't predict that Joe Burrow was going to go throw for 60 touchdowns. Nobody could have predicted that, but you could predict that they were going to be really good on offense because of what they were turning. So with that said, yeah, Scott, so, go ahead. So real quick, yeah, just to, you know, to that year, that LSU year, um, if you had watched, you know, the previous season, mm-hmm. the last half of 2018, the offense started clicking yeah. a little bit more, and they were scoring a mm-hmm. lot of points. They were scoring like 40 points a game on the back half of the season, which is like all conference games, right? So they were scoring a lot of points, and then you looked, and they just returned almost all of the production. So coming in at 2019, I think SP Plus had them as like a top three or top five offense projected. So if they had been the third best offense, everybody would have been shocked because that was the best offense anybody had ever seen in LSU mm-hmm. history if they were number three or number five. So they were already projected to be really good. And then the part that was hard to project is like what you said, that extra bump where they went from being an elite offense to all-time, an all-time mm-hmm. elite offense. Um, it's – there's certainly no way to guarantee or reasonably expect that same thing to happen for the Georgia offense next year, because like we said, that Burrow LSU leap was pretty unreasonable. Um, But if you look at it, I, you know, with Daniels playing, I don't know, I think they're averaging like 38, 39 points a game, something like that. Wow. And maybe that was, maybe it was like 39. That might've been before Cincinnati. Okay. Okay. But Maybe that was after, I don't remember. But you also look at it, bringing back 94% of your receiving yards. <laughs> basically, you basically lost Trey McKitty. Okay, That's okay. It. And his, like, seven catches. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And the rushing, you're bringing back 98% of your rushing yards. What was the 2%? I can't. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Dwan Mathis. Ah, me. gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And you're bringing back your starting quarterback who – you wished was 100% of your previous year's quarterback numbers, but unfortunately it wasn't. So yeah, just based off of where the offense was, you know, by SP plus finish, what, 21st, Mm -hmm. it's going to be projected. I would guess it's hard for it to not be at least around like top five ish, just based off of being 20th and bringing back that much and having a lot of talent. Now, it's the second year of the quarterback being there. It's the second year of the coordinator. We've seen a lot of this stuff happen, like with Burrow, like with LSU, um, like with Sark. Well, this was like his second mm-hmm. year in Alabama, probably. Yep. So, yeah, maybe you get that second year bump, too. Even if you don't, it's hard to see the offense not being pretty good. Definitely, definitely as good as the earlier – 2017 2018 yeah. offenses but also more to the current style of yeah. things right we throw the deep ball a lot more yeah you you said it scott that also the coordinator you know it is back um and you mentioned sark there you know kind of the part of the lsu 
um, Joe Burrow fever dream uh, that people don't always bring right up was Joe Brady and how big of a part he was of that. Um, Todd Munkin, I'll tell you, even in a year when we missed a lot of opportunities because of our quarterback play, he really, really mm-hmm. impressed me. I know, David, me and you had some text threads. Um, even in the games we lost, I mean, even the Florida and mm-hmm. Alabama games, when me and you were texting, like, we scored whatever – we scored 24 against Alabama, whatever we scored against Florida. Todd Munkin schemed, like, 40 40. 35, yeah. 40, 50 points yeah. in those games. Yep. There were guys running open. Um, so – and obviously you saw that at least start to come to fruition when Daniels mm-hmm. uh, got in there. Um, I'm just really impressed with him and with everything that's coming back. You, we have almost as much reason to be optimistic about next year's offense in the way that we did with last year's defense. And let's take a look at the schedule quickly. I mean, you're out of conference games, UAB, Charleston Southern, Georgia Tech. Your crossover games with the SEC West – Auburn, Arkansas. I, um, I, I'm having a hard. You, you left out one very important out of conference game. Which would I leave out? Clemson. <laughs> Clemson. Yeah. So. Nope. A little old Clemson. So you're just feeding right into the. Dad I'll be honest. Name. I really thought I started with Clemson. Clemson. I, what would Davos? I'll say be there? perfectly honest. I completely thought I said Clemson because I'm looking at them. I think I scrolled down too fast before I said their name, but I'm having a hard time seeing more than. I mean. I'm having a hard time seeing more than one loss. I mean, and we don't know how it's going to play out because Florida is going to be worse. There's no question. Talking about returning production, you lost your, what, top four pass catchers and your quarterback. I mean, there's no way Florida can have anywhere near the offense they had this year. Even though I think Emory Jones is going to be pretty good, but they're going to look a lot different Mm -hmm. on offense. Um, So I don't think Florida is going to be as good. I, I don't see anyone else in the East really rising up either so it really comes back it's really going to come down to can you handle your business because you're going to be projected to win every game in the conference um a lot of them by multiple scores you should beat auburn uh i know auburn is always a tricky game for us but auburn when you look at this is really the only thing it's really the only game that you would think would be a speed bump in conference now as for the clemson game again you don't have to win that game it's great if you do because if you beat Clemson, you get in with a loss in the SC championship game, possibly. If you lose close to Alabama in the SC championship game, a high-ranked Alabama, there's a shot that you could still get in, especially if that's your only if that's your only loss of the year is to Alabama. And especially if Clemson is winning the ACC Correct. and getting in the in the playoff. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's uh, it's a bit of a top-heavy schedule, yeah. is what it sort of looks like right now. You don't have quite as much meat in the mm-hmm. middle, just because. Like, you know, I don't think anybody expects Tennessee to be a top 10 team no. next year right now. Auburn has a new South coach, be so you're not really expecting them. Yeah, you got you got a lot of coaching changes. Um, in the end, it probably won't be a, an easy no. schedule because you'll have, like, your Missouris and your Kentuckys will end up being a top 25-ish yeah. team. So you'll still have a lot of competent teams, but – it's not a schedule where you're looking at it and saying, man, we might be playing five top 10 teams. Right. You're playing five top 10 teams. If Florida manages to squeak in the top 10 and you're counting Alabama in the SEC yeah. championship. Game. And so that's not too bad as far as SEC. Schedule. No. And I'm looking at this, but essentially, and like you said, I agree with you that I think, I think Missouri and Arkansas are going to be really, are going to be not really good, but improve next year. Like you said, borderline top 25 teams, Kentucky, you never know. They find 
figure out a quarterback they might because they have some good running backs and they have a good defense. But um, I'm looking at this, and Georgia's going to start the season ranked in the top five again. And there's sh- probably top three or top yeah. four. All the early projections have a like Georgia top three. I and think. there should be no point in the season at which Georgia is lower than number six. I think this year I said Georgia wouldn't drop below eight, and I was wrong on that. I think we dropped to 10 or 11. But there's no point this season where Georgia should be in the 2021 season where Georgia should be below like number six. Um, I just, it's hard for me to see even after a loss. And yeah, only way that happens is if you lose to Clemson and there's like an overreaction. Right. Somebody jumps you for beating Akron, you know, something dumb like that. And Clemson, you can lose that game. You can't get, you can't get killed in that game. Lose to Clemson 38 35, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. I mean, especially it being the first game yes. of the season. Yeah, Clemson people feel the same mm-hmm. way. You know, I have a good friend who's a Clemson fan, and he just, you know, his take is he's excited about the game, thinks it'll be fun to play a good team before the playoff. And he's like, but also it's house money. As long as we don't lose by three or four yep. touchdowns, it doesn't really matter if we win or yeah. lose. And so both would you all both agree that next year's team, we're expecting a elite college, like elite top of college football offense and a good enough defense? And – Ideally, a one-loss regular season in an SC championship game appearance, something close to that. Do y'all more or less agree with that? Yeah, I would probably say top five offense, top five defense, 11 and one. Okay. Which, for the record, for 2017, 2018, that's basically exactly what you were. Top five offense, top five defense, 11 and one. Jonathan? I am I am hoping for that. I think you've got plenty of reason to expect that, especially from the offense. I've already said how nervous I am about the defense. <laughs> yeah. I, it's not it's not impossible to me that we end up in a situation where the offense is very very good, and you know the defense maybe has some problems similar to what the LSU yeah. national championship defense had, maybe even similar to some Oklahoma years where um, you just kind of can't believe how much their defense gives up. It stretches with the talent that they have. Um, that would be, listen, that, that's the bad side of, of the projection. Um, and, and that would be based on holes in the secondary. Yeah. And I think the one advantage we have is you look at that schedule. Tell me how many elite offenses you see. Right. Exactly. No, it's, it's not, it's not very many. And that will help with the growth. You're going to get a baptism by fire against Clemson because Clemson is always going to be good on offense. They're never not going to be good on offense. Not when they have quarterbacks like, uh, they, like they recruit, but you look at the rest of this and you're like, man, there's a lot of teams that I can't even tell you who their starting quarterback's going to be. And the ones that I can, a lot of them aren't good. <laughs> so, very, very nice job of avoiding having to say the name of Clemson's next year's quarterback. <laughs> his, his name is DJ. Yeah. I don't see the problem. Yeah, DJU. <laughs> That's right. That's right. His name is DJ. <laughs> All right. Well, with that said, we've gone long here, longer than what I told y'all, which, you know, what, whatever, whatever. You know, this is fun. I think we've got a lot of great content. Scott, Jonathan, y'all are awesome. Appreciate you guys jumping on and doing this. We all probably need to go check on our kids um, if they're not in bed already. <laughs> um, so I don't want y'all to get in trouble with your wives. I don't want them to not let you do this anymore. Uh, would you guys sign off? Uh, uh, Dr. J, will you tell the folks adios? Great to do it. See you, everybody. And Scott, sign us out, man. Y'all stay safe out there. This is Dave Bethay from Tyrone Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.